Welcome to the Naples Community Church Podcast with Pastor Kurt Anderson. Thank you for joining us today. We hope you find this sermon inspires you, builds your faith, and gives you perspective to see God moving in your life. We trust God has great things in store for you. Enjoy today's message. Well, our text this morning, I thought I'd do something I don't often do. I'm going to preach about the devil. (laughs) And um, Jesus, after his baptism, was led by the Spirit to go into the wilderness. And there he was tempted by, by the devil. Now, Jesus withstood all that temptation, and therefore only Jesus really knows the full blast of temptation. We know temptation only as long as we resist. Once we cave, it's no longer temptation. But when we stand against it, we know the, the, the brutal blast of what temptation can be. And Jesus, for 40 days and 40 nights, withstood the assault of the father of lies, the devil. And I wanted to talk a little bit about it because it just seems the devil's had his way in our nation for way too long. And it is our hope that coming off of this election that even though someone is a Republican, you can still love them and talk to them. Or a Democrat. You can love them and speak with them. That politics not have its divisive power and that we as his church, we as God's children, would events in our relationships, the reality of the Spirit of God within us. Hear the Lord's word as it comes to us from Matthew's Gospel. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For 40 days and 40 nights he fasted and became very hungry. During that time the devil came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. Jesus said, No. The scriptures say people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point of the temple, and said, if you are the Son of God, jump off, for the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you, and they will hold you up with their hands so you won't even hurt your foot on a stone. Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, You must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to the peak of a very high mountain and showed him all of the nations of the world, all the kingdoms and all their glory. I will give it all to you, he said, if you will kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan, told Jesus. The scriptures say you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away. Angels came and took care of Jesus. Well, we often are shy to talk about the devil. I did look up Flip Wilson this week on the old YouTube. Uh, his, his really funny skits about the devil made me do it. And 
talking about his wife who bought three we- three dresses in one week, and <laughs> she said the devil made him do it, made her do it, and uh, so. The devil gets scapegoated for all kinds of things, and it's too easy to go there. It's way too easy to just sort of call on the devil as the reason why we've got bad things going on. And yet at the same time, without knowing exactly what it is or what it means, the scriptures include some notion of what, of of the presence and the reality of of Satan. And it's not just the, the tradition of Scripture. This is contained in, in all religions and in all cultures all over the world of the powerful force of evil. And, and so in our Bible we have, going back to the garden, it's not called the devil, it's the snake who does the tempting. And we have the story of Lucifer, the morning star, story of, of Venus rising in the morning bright, and then the sun comes up, and, and Lucifer, Halal is the word in the Hebrew, is cast down. The morning star is cast down. That's understood to be the casting down of Satan into the world. Or Beelzebub, which is taken from the Maccabean Revolt when Antiochus Epiphanes took an entire herd of pigs and slaughtered them in the temple and then in the Holy of Holies on the altar of the, of the temple. He set up the bust of a pig there, defiling the temple. And Beelzebub means Lord of the Flies. And then, of course, we have the whole understanding of Satan who comes to Job to accuse. Satan means accuser. And then the devil himself who is the word diabolos diabolical means divider. The one who will separate us from, from our God, the one who will separate us from one another, Diabolos. C.S. Lewis says, there are two equal and opposite errors into which our race can fall about the devils. One is, in, one is to disbelieve in their existence. The other is to believe and to feel an excessive and unhealthy interest in them. They themselves are equally pleased by both errors and hail materialist or magician with the same delight. And so, even though we may not understand, and I read biblical scholars all the time, and some dismiss it as mythological and and, uh, superstitious, but at the very least, I think it's important that we maintain something of a humble agnosticism when we talk about the devils. At the very least, if we are skeptical about what it means, because every now and then it comes up again, it, re- it, it rears its ugly head. I mean, the, the reality of an agency of evil. How do we understand? How do we understand the, the guards at the death camps sending people to their deaths and then going home at night and praying over their dinner with their children. How do we understand this? 
What human categories do we have? And we reduce the reality of evil to something trivial if we simply try to maintain therapeutic categories. The reality of evil is so large, it defies human examination. It's ultimately, it's ultimately a mystery. And we do well to acknowledge the reality that we cannot control it, handle it, understand it. It's there, and whatever language we may need to use to acknowledge its reality in our lives and in our world, whatever we have to do. And, and it's real. So the devil meets Jesus in the desert. And he meets him with his temptations. And Jesus, of course, faces down the devil. First temptation is that he who, as after he was baptized in the Jordan, he was in all likelihood went down in the region by the Dead Sea where it's just miserably hot. Hardly any vegetation at all, but the place is littered with stones. And you can imagine that as a young man, he saw those stones and thought about his mom bringing bread out of the oven, those nice round loaves, and seeing stones on the ground that looked like those round loaves. And the devil saw the same thing, and he said, if you're the Son of God, turn those, those stones into bread. Now, Jesus says no. We don't live by bread alone, or by every word that comes from the mouth of God. We don't live by bread alone. We don't live without bread, but we don't live by bread alone. What the devil is prompting him to do is to use his divine powers to call up his divine prerogative and do that miracle for his sake. Perhaps Jesus could have, if he had done that, gone back and carried out his ministry and started going through the cities and turning stones into bread so everyone could eat. Free bread. And they would be hearkened back to the desert experience where God showered them with manna every morning. Free bread, this must be the Messiah. This is the one that we want. But it was the exercise of power that Satan is tempting Jesus to use. His divine authority, his divine power, the power that resided within him to, to create things. And so the devil tempts with power. And then he takes Jesus to the tallest pinnacle of the temple. And at that point, you can look down the Kidron Valley. It's about a 500-foot drop. And he says to Jesus, jump off. And the angels promise that they'll be there to minister to you so that you won't even strike your foot. Jesus says, no. You You don't tempt God. You don't do that. Once again, it's a temptation to power. 
I was amazed. I was watching a show with David Copperfield. He was put in some kind of container, went off Niagara Falls at the bottom. And then somehow or another, he came in and landed with a helicopter up above the falls. It's an amazing trick. Well, Jesus could have done that kind of thing. And he would have garnered all kinds of attention. But once again, it was a temptation to power. That Jesus would do these spectacular things that would call attention to him and garner him power. Then he says, taking Jesus to a high point, look, all the nations of the world, all the kingdoms, all people, I give them all to you under your reign. All you have to do is bow down to me. Power. It's all about power. That's all the devil has. That's all Satan can use is tempt us to power. That's why this season, God willing, it'll be over by Tuesday or Wednesday or Thursday or next January or whenever. It's all been about power. And people have been divided. People have been at odds with one another. Even families have had trouble. Because of the division that is set in. And it's all about power. What Jesus responds with, time after time, is not himself. I have more power than you do, Satan. Notice, he refers to the scriptures. Well, the scriptures say this, and the scriptures say that, and the scriptures say this. He doesn't refer to himself. He refers to the word of God. Because his power is the power of love. It's not the, the raw power of rule. All this satanic temptation of Jesus in the wilderness is that he would rule things, be in charge of things, be over things. And he has a very different kind of power, the power that issues from self-sacrificial love, a power that he will demonstrate the remaining days of his ministry, a power that is demonstrated ultimately in, in a way that looks like ultimate cataclysmic failure, dying on the cross and thereby showing love to people. It's the power of love versus the power of rule. And he draws upon the strength of scriptures so that the devil would in fact get his due, which is nothing. (laughs) Zero, zip, nothing. And if Jesus draws on Scripture for strength, why don't we? We can enter into our 
political discussions and arguments and all of that. And it's all fine and good. It's a, it's a form of intellectual wrestling. It's all, it's all good. It's not about everyone agreeing with one another. But can we contextualize such discussions so that when, when they're over and done with, we love that person that we're talking to? And when we're done, because we will be done, this is all going to be over with, can we rebuild the relationships that have been broken? Can we allow the power of love to rule rather than simply brute power? So if Jesus can draw on Scripture, why don't we? Why not? We have to know it. We have to read it. Pastor Bill referenced this last week. We have to read it. We've got to know it. Chatting with Bill this week, and he was telling me how every morning when he gets up, he reads Scripture, and he prays so that he knows it. So he knows the, the power of God's Word. And yes, This is God's word that points to the word, capital W, which is Christ himself. But Jesus authorizes scripture when he uses it and draws his strength from scripture, as do we. So when dad turned 90, and I talked, quite a bit about dad. He's not a perfect man. But I will say, as time goes by, we lost him in 2012. He was about as good a man as they come. And I say that with, with not just deep love, but also deep appreciation. But in 90, I showed up for his birthday. That was the, those are the red-letter days. I always stay home at Christmas time because I had to do church. But then late in January, I'd always go to Spokane. And I brought Dad a Bible. Fresh, new, revised standard version, study Bible. Gave it to Dad. And when Dad was a kid, some guy said, if, if you read the Bible every day, I'll give you 50 bucks. Dad started reading the Bible as a 10-year-old boy. He never got his $50 but he developed a habit. And when I went back in 2012 to bury my father, there in the den, next to his chair, was that Bible, hammered. The back was broken. The pages were thick. He had probably read through that Bible at least a couple of times. Now, I know the Bible can be hard to understand. I know it can be difficult. We use what's called the New Living Translation just because it's so readable. It's so easy to read. And if you need one, we'll get you one. But I want to encourage you We fend off the power of evil in our world by instilling, by embedding ourselves, by knowing 
God's word to us. And it, the net effect is that it makes us make us knowledgeable where we're standing up over other people and we can beat them in theological arguments. Because if we really read our Bibles, if we really know what God is t- saying to us, He's saying love one another. Be humble. Make sure you meet everyone with, with love and, and humor, and care, and joy. In other words, the Apostle Paul says, count others better than yourselves, which is to submit ourselves to one another. When we do that, it's hard for us to engage in a political argument and sooner or later not, not, or keep ourselves from laughing because we know we only know so little and the Lord our God loves us so much and that is the example that we have and he's given us he's given us what we need we're not, we're not just going by feelings we're going by clear loving, caring instructions from a father who sent his son and gave himself for us. Bow with me in prayer. And so, Lord, may we be those people that you draw upon to bring unity where there has been division. To bring laughter where there have been scowls and furrowed brows. To bring examples of humility where there has been pridefulness. Lord God, give us the power of love. Through your Holy Spirit we pray. Amen. Jesus was betrayed and later arrested. He had one last meal with the team. He took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it. He said, this is my body, which is for you. In the future, when you meet together, do this in remembrance of me. And in the same manner, our Lord took the cup 
and said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. This is the new covenant, which is for you, for the forgiveness of your sins, so that you might know the love and the joys that come with belonging to Jesus. We've done this a few times now, so I hope you're getting the hang of it. But it starts with taking the cellophane off the top to get to the wafer. And then once we partake of the wafer, then you'll grab the tab and peel it back to drink the juice. We're on the same page? Have you gotten your wafer yet? Let us partake together as the body of Christ, God's gift of love to us. And the cup of his suffering, shed for you, shed for me, so that we might know the joys of his eternal kingdom. Our Heavenly Father, we give you thanks and praise for the gift that you have given by your self-sacrificing love. Your love for us, which took you to the cross, took you to the grave and the power of love that rose you from the dead. And we ask, O Lord, that that reality might be our reality by which we live. So hear us even now as we praise your Son taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you enjoyed today's podcast, there are a few things you can do. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. For more information, you can visit us online at www.naplescommunitychurch.org. If you happen to be visiting Naples, please drop in for our Sunday service at 10 a.m. We'd love to meet you. Thanks again for joining us. Have a fabulous day.